Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Father God, we thank you for a chance to gather around your word. We pray, Lord God, that as we look at your word now, God, that you would just uh, speak directly to us, Father. I know that there's some of us who are here today, Lord, because we're in need to hear from you. So worship is sweet and it readies our hearts and but God, we are in need to, to hear from you, to, to know that, that, uh, that you are present in our daily circumstances. Some of us have carried that with us into this place today, and I pray that, that, that during this time, God, that you would free us, Father, you would free us, that we'd be able to cry out, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I am free at last. Jesus, we thank you, we pray in your name, amen. I want to say welcome to all of you who are visiting with us for the first time. It is good to have you in the house. Uh, For those who are back after a small hiatus, uh, we noticed and we're glad to see you again. And for those who are here every week, it is good to be together as a family. Um, I believe God is up to something that is really special and sweet in, uh, in this place. I'm sure he's doing things all over the place, but he is doing something really special and that surely seems right here um, uh, about a month ago, we took some intentional steps as a church to, uh, to broaden our, our, our reach across the region and to further our relationship and intentional connections with, uh, with Pastor Charlie and some folks who had been, wor- who had been working and studying under him. And uh, we're excited to be able to, to be a family together and excited for what God, has do- as God, God is doing here. So uh, let me say to all of you who have come along on that journey with us, we know that it, is, uh, that it has been a, a good stretch, but a stretch nonetheless. And we're excited that, uh, that God is allowing you and allowing us to stretch in those directions. So we're going to get into the Word now. We're studying through the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 7. If you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open that up. We're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 7. We're going to work our way all the way through the chapter 7, and we'll try to touch into the first 11 verses of chapter 8. So that's a big thing to try to take on today. But I believe the Lord is saying something through it all, so I hope you'll follow along with us. It'll also be up on the screen. While you're turning there to find it, let me also just point out, um, if you've never read this book and you are a reader, I would just encourage you to uh, just go on Amazon today and, uh, and grab a copy of this book. It's called Strength to Love, MLK Jr., and I, would just, uh, I really just want to encourage everybody um, to just get a copy of it. If you don't have this in your library, maybe you read it before, but you borrowed somebody else's. If you don't have your own copy of this, go ahead and order it today on Amazon. If you, if you don't have a way to order it on Amazon, find out how to order it on the church's account. Joan will figure that out for you. God bless you with that. It'll be a great, Joan, Joan don't heart attack. I was just joking about it. But, uh, I, but really, if you need help getting one, let us know. We're, uh, we're glad to set you up in that direction. Um, it is a great resource and one that I think will, will really um, encourage your soul as you read through it. Gospel of John chapter 7, starting in the first verse. After this, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of the tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother, let me just pause for a second and say this, I'm glad my brother didn't do these kind of things to me. Jesus' brother said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself in the world. For even his own brothers... 
did not believe in him. There's a story there to be told. Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, are, for, for, for you any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its, that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there were widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. I'll pause there for now. Uh, this past, many of you know this past week I had a chance to be away with uh, uh, sharing at a conference. I was, did a little teaching there, and I had uh, Rick, Pastor Rick and Pastor Ricky with me. And I just want to share with you really quickly, this has nothing to do with the sermon at all, but I just want to share with you. Uh, there were 250 people at the conference, and I believe 247 of them came up to me individually and said something of this sort to me. You don't know how lucky you are to have, they called them the two R's, to have the two R's with you on your staff. Um, I am pretty confident that everybody at the conference was impacted simply by their presence and by them being who they are and just communicated to me unsolicited, Ray, you have two rock stars on your team. And, uh, and so I don't know if, uh, if you have a chance, if you had a chance to really get to know Pastor Rick and Pastor Ricky really well. Pastor Rick works with our youth ministry. Pastor Ricky works with our children's ministry. And, uh, and they are doing a fantastic job. Pastor Ricky is in uh, Los Angeles right now, wrapping up the last couple of days of his vacation. He'll be back with us on Tuesday. And Pastor, Ricky, uh, Pastor Rick is um, covering children's church right now. So that's why you don't see him in here with us. But I wanted to just share with you, we have an amazing team of people, and uh, what makes that possible is all of you, and, and, and the fact that uh, the Lord has called you here, the Lord calling you here in large part is part of the reason why the Lord has called them here. And so uh, I am just thankful for the team of people that I get to serve with, and that we get together, get to minister the gospel. So back to the gospel of John chapter 7. It starts off where it says, after this. Whenever you read words like after this or because or in light of, you have to ask one important question, which is after what or why? Why did that happen? So in order to get that, you'd have to look back at to the end of Gospel of John chapter 6. We didn't study through this last week, but this is what happens at the end of chapter 6. I dare say this is a profound moment that has happened in other people's lives as well. In chapter 6, Jesus does a little bit of teaching. And at the end of his teaching, some people get a little disappointed in him. And as a result of his disappointment, watch me, everybody look up here. As a result of, his disappoint, of their disappointment, they leave. Jesus is the Messiah. Understand this. Understand who he is. Jesus is the greatest. Matter of fact, there were plenty of prophetic preachers. We just heard one this morning. And then there's people who have come after them who, who, who teach. That's what I do. But, but Jesus was the master teacher. And the master teacher taught, and some people got disappointed in what he taught, and they left. 
I don't know um, what your story is like, but I dare say that for every one of us, we have unintentionally, or maybe intentionally, said something or done something that has bothered somebody, and as a result, they have left a relationship with us. Everybody has encountered it in some level. You got into a schoolyard disagreement with one of your fr kid friends, and you never talked to him again. Forty years later, you don't go to those high school reunions because you don't want to see that person, right? Right? Or you go to that high school reunion hoping you'll see that person, one or the other. But you, you've had some kind of moment like that. Well, Jesus had that kind of moment in, uh, in chapter, at the end of chapter 6. <clears throat> but it says this. It says that while some people left, some believed. Interesting. In the midst of what would be a disappointing moment, in the midst of what would be a letdown of sorts, if I preached a sermon today that you didn't like and half of you decided, you know what, I'm not coming back next week, that would be really disappointing to me. It would break my heart. Matter of fact, I would probably stalk you a little bit. I'd knock on your door. I'd call you. I'd put, bumper, I'd put stickers on your car telling you we want you back, right? I don't know if I'd go that far, but I'd do some of those things at least. You can enjoy trying to figure out which ones I would do. But I would do something to try to let you know you were cared for. But, uh, but as disappointing as that would be, you know what would win the day? If somebody gave their life to Jesus. I preached a sermon and half you left, but somebody gave their life to Jesus. You know what? That'd be a victory. That would be a win. That would be a kingdom moment. Now, that doesn't mean I wouldn't be heartbroken for those who left. It just means I would celebrate the fact that some believed. And that's what happens at the end of chapter 6. It says that some believed. And so as a result of that, after this, Jesus went on in Galilee. At the very end of the chapter, people were beginning, at the end of chapter 6, people were beginning to try to dream up how they can plot on killing Jesus. And so Jesus stays in Galilee. So he did not want to go about Judea because those folks were trying to look for a way to kill him. And then he has this interaction with his brothers. Let's, uh, for those who might be new to church or to the Gospels or to the life of Jesus, let me help us by understanding this. Jesus had brothers. He probably had sisters too. We don't know that for sure, but he probably had some sisters too. He had people who came after him to mom and to dad, but understand this. They were only half brothers and half sisters. The Bible doesn't differentiate between the two. We use that language today. So half brother, half sister. Why? Because Jesus had a, earth, had a heavenly father and not an earthly father, right? So Jesus was, was the son of God, and Mary, right? Mary birthed him into the world. He's a product of God. However, all of his brothers and sisters, or at least brothers, and if he had any sisters, all of them were products of mom and dad, Mary and Joseph. Y'all follow me? Y'all follow me? Okay. All right, if you didn't follow me on that, just look to somebody who shook their head yes and ask them about it after church. They'll enjoy talking about that. <clears throat> You're welcome for that, that, that introduction. So here you go. Jesus preaches a message in, ch in chapter 6, verses 60 through 70. He preaches a message that causes some people to leave. They dismiss who Jesus is. They reject it. They say, you know what? I hear him talking about it, but I don't believe it. So they get up and they leave the crowd. Some of them, a couple of them, I don't know how many. The Bible just says some of them did believe. I find encouragement when I know that even Jesus preached the message that some people Rejected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not because I often preach messages that people reject, but because I know that if the greatest preacher ever preached a message that somebody didn't like, I I'm in good company. I'm in good company, all right? 
you may have looked uh, this week, and I, I posted this. Um, I think it was yesterday, so I'm going to read it to you. This is uh, my, one of my posts I put up on my social media. It said, the crazy part about being vulnerable, about being relational, and about being transparent is that you open yourself up to being hurt. People are likely to never know how much they have hurt you. And the temptation during the time in which you are recovering from the inflicted wounds is to become less vulnerable, less relational, and less transparent. I understand it. I share in those feelings too. Yet, I know the one who has come to heal the hurt. Time does help, but Christ heals. I know for a fact that the breakdown in relationship is disappointing. It has to be disappointing to Jesus, and it would be disappointing to you and to me. To further, to, to, to further the point, his brothers come up to him and say, hey, Jesus, I've got an idea for you. You're winning the crowds in the small town. Let's go to the big stage. Let's go to the big stage. Let's see what you can do. Now, there's two ways you can read that. The way you might initially read it is by saying, oh, his brothers are just encouraging him to go gather more people to believe. You would think that until you get to the part where it says, even they don't believe. Once you realize that his brothers don't believe, now you realize that there's a, there's a mockery spirit here. There's a, oh, Jesus, you can trick everybody when they're that far away. Let them come closer, and they'll see the slide of hand. You follow me on that? No? All right. You ever, go, you ever watch on TV, and you see like a magic trick or something? Somebody does a card trick, and you're like, wow. Doesn't matter what the trick is. You're like, how did they do that? That is absolutely crazy. There's no kids in the room who will understand this, so I'll, I'll let the secrets out. I hate, hurt. I'm sorry if I burst your bubble. But you can now go on YouTube... And you can Google how they do it. And they show it to you up close. And when you see it up close, you realize, ah, oh, that ain't real. That ain't real. Now, I know this for a fact because yesterday I get into the car with my kids, and, and Isaiah has a deck of cards. And he has one card on the top that I see the back of. And he, he tries to not allow me to see that every other card is facing up. And he says, Dad, take this card and put it into the deck anywhere you want. So I take the card, and I put it in a deck anywhere I want. And, uh, and he says, I'm going to find your card. And he flips the cards over, and he looks, and he looks, and he looks, until he finds the only card in the whole deck that's facing in the direction. And he's like, Dad, this is your card. And he, you know, it was amazing. I was like, how did you do it? How did you do it? Unfortunately, I was a little bit too close so I could see just how he did it. Well, see, that's what his brothers are saying. His brother's saying, you're winning everybody here on the small stage. Go to the big stage. Go see if everybody else will believe you when they actually see what you're doing. But he knows, he being Jesus, he knows that if he goes to the big stage, there's people at the big stage that want to kill him. He knows that if he goes into town, there's people that are searching for him because he's, he started something. He's got some people that are tracking along, and, and those people that are tracking along are starting to say, you know what, I'm no longer buying in to the systems of the day. I'm buying in, oh, watch this, to the systems of the way. If you don't know about that, that's an ax. Check that out, right? So <clears throat> they're, they're, they're following on to Jesus, and so his brothers who don't even believe in him, they kind of mock Jesus and say, Jesus, 
Why don't you go into town? Anybody who wants to be big, they don't stay in the small town. They go to the big town to show off what they can do. Do you think it would be easy to be the brother of Jesus? Think about this for a minute. Come on, think about it with me. Just indulge me for a minute. I mean, how many of you have a sibling? How many people have siblings? Come on, put your hands up. You got a sibling. Okay. All right, maybe I ask, how many of you are only child? All right, if you're an only child, here's some good news. You were mom and dad's favorite. <laughs> you are welcome. You are welcome. How many of you have a sibling? All right, you are in a percentage of the favorites, right? Maybe you are, maybe you aren't the favorite. But you're one of, you're in, you're one of the favorites, at least. All right, so just imagine what it would be like to be Jesus' brother. You know, like... <clears throat> I don't know, who are you being compared to all the time? I don't know, somebody who's perfect? You know, why can't you do it more like Jesus? I come on, think about it, right? You know, like, mom would be like, hey, you know, like, take out, the, you know, wash the dishes. And go to pick up one of the dishes, and they're still dirty. Why didn't you wash it like Jesus would? Right? All of us wear those WWJD braces. You know, what would Jesus do? You know, like, all of Jesus' brothers got a bracelet. You know, mom just said, what would Jesus do? Like, go do it, right? I, don't, I imagine it wouldn't, I imagine it would be a tough task to be the brother of the perfect Messiah. I had a hard time believing my brother when he told me things. Like, he would say something, and I would always think he's tricking me. I'd always think he's trying to make me look bad. I'd always think he's trying to, show, like, imagine the one who actually knows all things. Right? He's like, Jesus, what you talking about? <laughs> Come on. Right? I don't know what it was like to be the brother of Jesus, but it's really interesting to see that the gospel says that his brothers didn't believe him yet. Now, look, I'm going to fast forward in case you drop out of the sermon. I'm going to fast forward to the very end. His brothers didn't believe him yet. That's the key. They didn't believe him now. But when you get to the book of Acts, his brothers believe him. Right? His brothers not only believe him, they're, they're a part of the formation of the early church. Right? Right? His brothers actually lead the way for what you and I sit in today. All right? So in case you miss everything, they didn't believe him now, but at some point, probably around here, right here, they start to realize that this is true. And then when that whole, like, the tomb is empty and then Jesus comes back, <laughs> things are confirmed for them at that point. So his brothers don't believe just yet. So it, it, maybe I'm saying that to say this. <clears throat> his brothers were around Jesus for, at this point, he's about 32 years old, 32, almost 33, 33 years of his life, he's been hanging out with his brothers, and they don't believe it. So if you've been in church for more than a couple minutes, and you're not yet there, it's okay. It's okay. It's all right. 33 years, you're good. Now, I mean, it took, it took them a while, too. It took them a while, too. But the good news is, they came around, I think there's hope for you. You're in good company. All right, here you go. Let's move on. Um, and starting in verse, in verse 6, therefore Jesus told them, my time has not yet, is not yet here. For you, any time will do. You might not have understood why Jesus was saying this, so let me just say this to you. Jesus didn't miss the fact that they was jabbing at him, and I like Jesus' sense of humor. You remember when Jesus gets to, when Jesus is praying in the garden in John chapter, you're supposed to fill in the blank, I don't know what it is, so I was hoping you did. I think it's 17, John 17, is that where he prays? Is that the prayer chapter? Somebody nod? Yes? All right, thank you, thank you. In John 17, Jesus is praying, and he, and he prays for everybody. He prays for the disciples, and he prays for the, futures, the, the future people who believe, and he prays for those who don't yet believe, right? He prays for all these people. But uh, one of the things that, that Jesus 
praise. He says, you know, that, that they, we will be rejected here because they reject Jesus. Right? We will be hated because he is hated. We will be dishonored because he is dishonored, right? Jesus, he doesn't miss this right here in John chapter 7. He says, says to his brother, he says, uh, you guys can go to the center of town. Won't hurt you. They don't hate you. Why don't they hate you? Because you don't stand for me. Ooh, get this. Get this. You don't, I don't want you to miss this today. This might be the message you need to hear today. Jesus looks at his brothers and says, the reason why you can go to the center of town is because you're not standing for me. Because you're not standing with the Messiah. Because you're not on God's team yet. Okay? You follow this? You follow this? I went to, uh, yesterday, went to the Sixers game. I was sitting up in the, in the, in the just to help you understand, I was sitting up in the, I was watching on my phone, and the people were bigger on my phone than they were in, life, in real life, right? <clears throat> but uh, sitting all the way up at the very top, I was hanging out with my four kids, sitting up at the very top. I like sitting up in the top, right? Because they, they do something wrong. I'm like, kids, I'm just going to push you. <laughs> they straighten right up. They straighten right up. I wouldn't really do it, but they straighten right up. They don't ever want to do anything wrong up top. But uh, some of y'all are like praying for me right now. I promise I wouldn't do it. But Tommy fell down the escalator yesterday. No, Michelle doesn't know it yet. She's going to listen to this. She's going to listen to the sermon online. She's going to be like, blasted. That has nothing to do with the sermon, but Tommy did. It's a true story. I was, I was carrying all the kids' food, and we were all going up the escalator, and the escalator has a glass rail. And so Tommy pushes his hands against the rail. He thinks it's so cool. But when the escalator starts going, his feet are going, but his hands aren't moving. His hands aren't moving. And at some point, Spider-Man, you know, like, and then just slides backwards. And I just watch people who are watching me watch him. I was like, somebody hold my cheesesteak. Pick up my kid. One or the other. It is, it is a true story, and I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. But uh, back, back to the point of the message. So, so we're sitting up in the very top. Now, watch this. Here's what I was saying about being on the team. Sitting up at the very top, right? It, it was a Sixers game, and they were playing against the, uh, the, the, the Blazers, Trailblazers. And uh, there, was, there was a Trailblazers fan in, in our section. It was crazy. I mean, it was probably the only one in the whole... I mean, nobody's a Trailblazers fan, first of all. Because <laughs> even though they're good, I mean, you don't know anybody who's on the team. There's nobody's a Trailblazers. There's one guy who's sitting there. He must have been somebody's cousin or something. He's sitting there, and he's, and he's like cheering. He's like, yeah, every time, every time the Blazers score... And everybody else on the team is like, mm-mm. Everybody else in our section is like, mm-mm. So, like, we're all roasting them, and jab- they won the game. He turned around and laughed at all of us. But we're all roasting them and jabbing them and being like, yeah, they stink, right? <clears throat> but it was clear whose team he was on. He was not ashamed to say whose team he was on, right? And as a result of whose team he was on, he was rejected in our stadium, right? The entire stadium let him know it, right? Okay? All right? <clears throat> Jesus looks at his brother and says, y'all could go into the center of town because whose team are you on? Maybe you've been hanging out with Jesus for a long time. Watch this. I hope you follow. Maybe you've been hanging out with Jesus for a long time. Maybe you've been in the house with him. Maybe you've done some things. Maybe you've talked to him a couple of times. Maybe you prayed a few minutes, but I'm asking you a question. Whose team are you on? Because Jesus looks at his brother and says, it doesn't matter the fact that we got the same mom. That doesn't make you on my team. I can't go into town because my life would be on the line. And if you were really on my team, your life would be on the line too. But it's not. 
See, sometimes we think that just showing up means that we're on the team. We're on the team. And showing up just means we showed up. It doesn't mean we belong. It doesn't mean we're on the team. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that what the, count, the, the, the cost that he has to count, we have to count as well. Right? So I believe that when Jesus looks at his brother and says, why don't you guys go into town? That he's actually saying to them, whose team are you on? Follow along with me. Uh, down, at the, down at verse 10. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, Jesus leaves in secret as well. He goes and he hangs out, and here's the question that he hears. You can kind of picture it. Uh, there's, there's a crowd. They're gathered around. Everybody's watching in that direction. And in the background is Jesus poking his head up, kind of listening in with the Jesus ears, only way Jesus can. And here's what he hears people saying. Where's that Jesus guy? Where is he? Now, maybe they're asking like out of like, where is he? We want to see him. Cheer for him. Or maybe they're asking, where is he? We want to see him. We want to see him. We got a, we got a, we got a score to settle with him, right? We want to we we get this over with. <clears throat> where is he? Where is he? That's the question that they're asking in, uh, down, at, down in verse 11. And then some people begin to respond, and they begin to come to, to Jesus' defense. And maybe you know what this is like. You, you hear somebody, and they're, they're kind of casting some shade at your Savior, and you're like, no, 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 that Jesus guy, he's been on my side for years. He got me out of the hole that I was in. Jesus, he knew who I was. He saved my life. He took things that were crooked and made them straight. Like, you, talk, you, you begin to, to testify about what Jesus has done or what Jesus is doing. But the crowds are a bit overwhelming. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like your voice isn't loud enough to counter the number of voices or the, or the, the volume of the voices that are speaking against what you believe? You ever feel alone in the faith that you have when you're out of this place? Hopefully you never feel alone when you're in this place, but you ever feel alone when you were somewhere else? You felt like, man, I'm the only one who believes this Jesus thing, or I'm the only one who's trying to live in this way, or I'm the only one who's turning away from this and turning to this. Have you ever felt those kind of things? Well, here's some good news. Jesus himself, in this very moment, felt those things. He's in the crowd. He's watching as people mock him, as they cast shade at him, without even knowing he's there. He's a fly on the wall. He hears. Yeah. Some people come to his defense, but the voice isn't loud enough. 14, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The, G the Jews there were amazed, and they asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? In other words, it took me a long time to be able to teach this good. How's he able to do it? Right? He didn't go to our schools. He didn't practice with us. He didn't memorize the things we memorized. How's he know this? He's just a common guy. He's just a son of a carpenter. I had to remember what his father did. Jesus answered. <laughs> Understand this. They're not asking Jesus these things. They're just asking them out loud. Kind of a, you know, what's that called when you ask a question you don't want an answer to? Rhetorical, right? Thank you. I was, I was going to get the wrong word there. A rhetorical question or kind of casting out rhetorical questions. And, you know, and Jesus stands up and says, 
I got an answer for you. You, know, you think of something, you just throw something out there like, why would that happen? And all of a sudden, oh, that's why. Jesus is actually going to respond. Jesus answers them, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Let me stop for one second here. This statement is going to put Jesus on the cross. This is a messianic statement. When Jesus says this, it is the equivalent of him looking at them and saying, I am the Messiah. When he declares what he declares, he says, what I got came directly from God. When he declares that, that's a messianic claim. He might as well have just put himself in the court case and convicted himself in that moment. Right? He went public about who he is. Remember the conversation he had with his brothers? Come on, help me out on the sermon. Come on. Remember the conversation he had with his brothers? Come on, come on. At the beginning of the chapter, he's talking to his brothers. His brothers are like, don't stay on the small stage. Go to the big stage. And Jesus says, I can't go to the big stage because people want to kill me. So now Jesus stands up at the big stage that he wasn't going to go to, stands up at the big stage, does some teaching. Some people say, how are you able to teach like that? And he says, let me break you off some knowledge. I can do this because I came directly from the Father. And when he said that, you can just imagine the uproar. Some people were like, yes, we've been waiting forever for this guy. He's going to save us. And everybody else was like, kill him. Kill him. Why? Because he just declared that he's one with God. Kill him. Kill him. You remember, that's, that, you know, that's, that's what you, uh, you hear uh, uh, Palm Sunday. You hear, you know, hey, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. But then uh, on, on, on Friday, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. There's the mixed crowd, right? Same story here. Whoever speaks on their own, oh, oh, let me, let me break off real quick. In 17, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. This is really interesting. Jesus says, this is Jesus' word. He says, if you want to know who I really am, do what my daddy tells you and see if it works. Every time, I mean, very often, I, somebody will come up to me and say, how do I know if this is real? How do I know if this church thing works? How do I know if God really loves me? How do, how do I know? How do I know? How do I know? Fill in the blank, right? So somebody asked Jesus, how do you know? And Jesus says to Emily, he says, just do what God says. If you do what the Father says, you'll find out. He doesn't complicate it. He doesn't complicate it. He just looks at you and says, if you want to know whether this is real, try it. Just take what my dad says and try it. And you'll find out. He doesn't, no, no long list, right? No hoops to jump through. This is what my daddy said. Just go try it. And you'll see. It'll confirm for you that this is who I really am. Folks, maybe what I'm saying to you here is that we can test and approve the revelation of God simply by our obedience to God. How you doing in that area? How are you doing at saying yes to God? How are you doing at being obedient to what the Father asks? I know you've got a lot of questions. You're not alone. A lot of things I want God to work out. There's things that I just, there's things, for, even things from the book where I'm just like, God, I've studied this a lot. How do we make sense of this? 
But God doesn't call us to understand everything and then obey. Obey my word. Now I'll make things right. I'll make things plain to you. Uh, 19. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. So why are you trying to kill me? Jesus' humor, Jesus calling them forward. He says, look, you're mad at me because of the miracle you saw me do. You heard a story that I healed somebody on the Sabbath, and you want to kill me because I healed somebody on the Sabbath. And then he says, Moses, Moses created a law. And the law said that to show that you love God, all of your firstborn males must be, I mean, all of your males must be circumcised. You then created your own space to say, doesn't matter, I'll even circumcise on Sundays because I'm committed to God. Jesus says, you're going to kill me because I healed that guy's entire body, but you're okay with circumcision on Sunday? Don't you see something that's disconnected? Oh, I hope you see it too. 20, you are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? And Jesus said, I did one miracle. And you were all amazed. Yet, because Moses gave you circumcision, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a, whole man, a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, and instead, judge correctly. What does that mean? What does it mean to say judge correctly? When I was in, se- when I was in seminary, they said this to me. They said, we need to major on the majors and minor on the minors. But sometimes we major on the minors and we minor on the majors. You follow me? He said, we need a major on the majors and minor on the minors. And I think in, in, in many ways that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look, the, the law has a heart behind it. It has a principle behind it. It has, it has, it has an overarching idea behind it. When you, when, you, when you drill down on the law, you incorrectly lose the heart of it. When you drill down on a specific of a law, you incorrectly lose the heart of it. In other words, if we're all supposed to keep the Sabbath, why are y'all making me work today? Y'all, we, we're all supposed to keep the Sabbath. But y'all employed me to work today. So y'all causing me to sin by working on the Sabbath, and y'all sinning by employing me to work on the Sabbath. But you, as a church, understood that the law had a heart behind it, had an intent behind it. And so there was the situations in which you were able to say the intent of the law is that there be a Sabbath. There'd be a day that that God would be honored, set apart from the normal things we do. So as good brothers and sisters in the faith, you come to me and say, your Sabbath can't be on Sunday, so I sure hope you're taking one another day. That's honoring the law, right? Right? But if if we drill down on the law, we just say, you know what, we can't do this. We can't order pizza on Sunday. Can't watch football on Sunday. We can't go to church on Sunday. You can't ride a bus on Sunday. Because all those things would be an objection to the Sabbath. And all of a sudden, 
We're like monkish, right? We're like trapping ourselves up in some spot. There was actually a further rule there that you can't even cook on Sunday. So some of y'all want, might want to implement the Sabbath. That's good, right? You don't like cooking, so you're like, <laughs> can't cook on Sunday. You had to pre-cook on Saturday, though. I don't know if, they, I don't know if you enjoy that or not, but <clears throat> Jesus is looking at them and saying, look, you're messing it up. When you're drilling down there, you're messing it up. Because, see, the reality is there was an intent behind the law. The intent was that God would be honored. Which is God more honored by, the fact that this man was healed or the fact that you did nothing on Sunday? And when he says this, pierces the heart. Pierces the heart. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't, the man that they are, isn't this the man that they're trying to kill? They're beginning to get it. Isn't this that guy? Here he is. He's, he's speaking publicly. They're not saying a word to him. Have they been convinced that he really is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. See, when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple court, says, yes, you know me. You know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. He just reinforced again his messianic claims. And he said that God himself has sent him. Check this out. He says, you know me and you know where I am from. I'm not here on my own authority, but the one who sent me that is true. You see the play on words that Jesus is doing here? He says, you know me. But do they know him? Do they know him? His own brothers, did they know him? They knew a lot about him. They knew what size shoe he wore. They borrowed his shoes sometimes. They, they knew the way he dressed. They knew the way he swung a hammer. They knew what he liked to eat for dinner. But they didn't know him. So if, if they're standing in the crowd and they're saying, isn't that him? Do they know him? No. They don't know him. They know about him. They're saying, I've heard that voice before. The things that he's saying sound similar to the things I heard that that Jesus guy was teaching about. Like, they don't know him. I want to drill down on this for just one second with you. <clears throat> I believe that many of us really get confused with knowing about God and knowing God. Many of us take what we know about God, and we, and we, we fill our capacity with knowing about God. We, we study, and we, we read, and we, we, we journal, and we devote ourselves to filling out devotionals and, and whatever else it is, and, and those are all great things. Please don't stop doing any of those things. Those are all great, but please don't misplace this. If what we do is find out about God, but we don't actually get to know God, when we get to the gate, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Oh, I hope you heard that today. If we fill our time and our space and our capacity with finding out about God, but we never surrender to actually know God, there will come a day when God says to us, depart from me, for I never knew you. We won't be the first ones to have thought it up. Revelation, it's there. The exact situation I'm talking about is there. <clears throat> I want to know God. I want to know God in a deep and in intimate way. I want to fill my head with a capacity, and I, I've got a big head, 
with capacity. I want to fill it to capacity with as much knowledge about God as I can. But I want it to be undergirded. I want it to be, I want it to be centered on my desire to really know him, not to know about him. My desire to know him. My desire to be known by him. When Jesus shows up in the crowd, I want to know that it's him. I want to know it because I know his voice. I want to know it because I know the tenderness tenderness of his touch. I want to know it because I know the will and the way that he would go. I want to know it because I myself have been pursuing to move in that direction. 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about Jesus, and the chief priests and the Pharisees went to the temple guards and said, arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for, you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Jesus gives the allusion to or the foreshadow of the day coming where people think they know where he is, but he's not. And we know that day comes. We know that happens with the resurrection. We know that happens with the empty tomb. We know that we believe that, that people believe that Jesus would have been there. And when the stone was removed and the body was absent, we knew something was different. We knew something had changed. We knew that Jesus had gone somewhere that without him, we could not go. Jesus is looking at those who understand a lot about him. He's talking to Pharisees and people who would have known more of this book than you and I would have time to study. I mean, Jesus is talking about to the upright religious leaders, and he says to them, you will not go where I go. You know a lot about me, but you don't know me. Follow with me really quickly as we move on through this story. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our, our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and will he teach those? I mean, what did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stands up and he says this. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow within them. Immediately when you read this, you've got to think back to just a couple of days ago, just a couple of weeks ago, we studied through Jesus meeting with a woman at the well, and he said, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? And if you knew who was asking you if you were thirsty, you would ask for a cup, and I would fill your cup, and you would never be thirsty again. Now Jesus says, if you are thirsty, come and drink. He's pointing right back to the story. He's pointing back to where we see in John's gospel where his public ministry begins. And, and Jesus says that what he offers will flow within them forever. I don't know what your walk with Jesus has looked like lately, but maybe, maybe it's been a little bit dry. Maybe your connection to the Father hasn't been as intimate or as great as you would like. Maybe, maybe your study of the word hasn't been as full of revelation as it once was, or, or maybe your prayer time has been more silent on the other end than it was before. 
Jesus says, do you want more? Then come and drink. What does it mean, Pastor, to say, come and drink? Come close. Lean in. Ask. Wait. Just imagine yourself truly thirsty without an ability to quench that thirst on your own. When you see someone who's got the cup, are you leaning in? You're not going to sit there and just hope it comes to you, are you? If you really need it, if you really want it, won't you lean in for it? Won't you draw close to it? Jesus, in large part, is is questioning whether whether the religious upright folks really want the Messiah. I know they know about him, but do they really want him? I think if Jesus showed up at our church today, and not just our church, but probably any church, he could ask the same question. He would say, hey, showing up here is part of the battle, but do you really want what I have? We're going to fast forward because I'm going to run out of time. When you read through on your own the beginning of the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8, you'll read the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. <clears throat> and to tie together the point of that to the point that I just made, just join me in reading the last three verses of our section today. So starting, uh, starting in verse 9. At this, though, in chapter 8, verse 9, at this, those who heard began to go away at a time, one at a time, the older ones first, until Jesus was the only one left. He was left with the woman still standing there who had been caught in adultery. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she says. This is what Jesus responds to her. Then neither do I. Go now, and leave your life of sin. Jesus looks, I hope you see this today, Jesus looks at the religious upright folks, the folks who feel like they got it all together, and he says, do you really, are you thirsty? Do you really want the cup that I have? Silence from the crowd. Jesus looks at the woman who is clearly caught with everything going wrong. And he says to her, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no longer. Leave your life of sin. Same thing he's saying to those of us who are filled with knowledge and haven't actually surrendered our heart to God. You see, our act of sin is piousness, piousness, being too proud, arrogance in our knowledge but a lack of surrender in our heart. So Jesus looks at you and he looks at me and he says, if you're really thirsty, I've got a cup that'll satisfy forever. But would you leave that wayward life? Would you leave that sin behind? Would you leave your zeal and confidence for knowledge behind? 
run to a heart that is soft and be molded by the Father? If I asked you right now, could you identify what that is for you? What is it that Jesus is saying, stop? Stop! And get this. For the woman, she was running around with dudes. But for the Jewish leaders, they were replacing the Messiah with knowledge. And to both, Stop. Stop. You say, well, pastor, I'm I'm not an adulteress. I I don't do that dirty stuff. It's fine. So your sin looks different. But the Messiah says, stop. Because he has a cup that is full for all of us who are thirsty. As we end, I want to leave you with one thing to wrap your mind around this week. As I started off, I shared with you that finding ourselves transparent, relational, and vulnerable puts us in a situation where people could hurt us where things could go wrong. And we'd have to figure out what to do with that. Jesus had to figure out what to do with that at the end of chapter 6 into chapter 7 when people stood up and said, if you're preaching that, I'm out of here. And his heart for the people broke. For you and for me, we're not out of here. We're here. But when we come in, we bring a bunch of stuff with us. This week, would you give God some space in that stuff? This week, would you take one step back? You don't have to run away from everything. But would you just take one step back? Would you free up one moment that normally would be committed to something else and say, God, here's my heart. Here's my time. Here I am. What would you do with that? If you'll do that, I believe this. I believe the king will respond. I've got a cup. It's full. And if you're thirsty, I'll make it so you never thirst again. I want to pray for you and pray with you. Jesus We want to know you. And when I say know you, like for, for some of us who are new to church, that, that concept of knowing God seems foreign. But, but literally, God, we want to know you. <clears throat> I love the fact that in your scripture, you say, Jesus, you say that if we want to know you, then we just be obedient to your Father. And our obedience to the Father will confirm who you are. God, we want to know you. So thanks for not making it tricky for us to figure out how to know you. We simply just say yes to the Father. So God, I'll show up, and God, I'll seek to do my best, and God, I'll study, and God, I'll pray, 
And God, I'll surround myself with brothers and sisters who can encourage me in my faith. But I'll do those things from a position of saying, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you. That will undergird my relationships. That'll undergird my Sunday morning. That'll undergird my family. That'll undergird my decisions. That'll define how I respond. Because God, you say that as we are obedient to you, you reveal yourself to us. We know you more. And it makes a lot of sense, Lord. Father, the, the, the more that the more that we know about you, the more we want to know you. Let us never be satisfied with just knowing about you. Because God, I stand in full confidence that everyone who would surrender their life to you would someday stand before you hear you say, well done, well done, well done, but also stand in fear and trembling that anybody who might put their own hope and trust in their ability to know you by, by learning a whole lot about you. Stand in fear and trembling that someday they might stand before you and you might say, depart from me, for I never knew you. So God, would you know us intimately and closely? Would you tell us you love us? It's not an over-dramatization. We're not, yeah, we're not being overly dramatic about it. God, or a yeah, you know what I'm trying to say, Lord. Every one of us is the woman who's caught in adultery. Every one of us is caught in our own mess. And it's a mess that is worthy of being rejected for. It doesn't matter how clean our mess is. It's, it's still a mess and worthy of being discarded. And yet you, in your perfect love for us, you forgive us. And your word to us is, now go and live like we're forgiven. Run away from and run to. I want to know you, God. I want to know you. Father, I pray that this week, Every one of us find moments where we know you and we're known by you. That might happen in our prayer closets. It might happen in the revelation study. It might happen as we walk in the morning with our friends and we talk openly about who we are in you. But God, that we might know you and we might be known by you. Thank you, Lord. We join our voices together. We sing in song of celebration of who you are and of all that you've done. We cry out to you in prayer as a family. We encourage one another. But most of all, we come together and surrender before the King. Lord, that we might know you and be known by you. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at rocksboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.